It's the final episode of 2023, and we are looking back on the stories that dominated and transcended sports this year. It's Friday, December 29th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. a big, crazy year in sports, and we are going to sum it up as best we can with our front office sports newsletter co-authors, Eric Fisher and David Rumsey. Welcome, Eric. Welcome, David. Hello. Hey, Owen. How's it going? Uh, great. Great to have you both. And yeah, sort of hard to know where to start of this you know, massive year in, in the world of sports. So, so many big changes, so much that, that went on. I'll just start us off with this is the year that regional sports networks really started to crumble. And I think as we look back, when in 10 years, we're going to be looking back at this year as the year that kind of this whole media model started to dissolve and reform into something else. So Eric, do you think that's, that's an accurate assessment? And, you know, are, are we truly moving away from RSNs? Um, and they, certainly in the form and w- confined within the traditional cable bundle that we've known them. And, it, and it's interesting that when Diamond Sports Group, the parent of Bally Sports, filed for bankruptcy in March, that was an early candidate for the sports business story of the year that, you know, late, things came on later, like uh, the live golf situation later in the summer and the Pac-12 and other things that we'll get into. But this was an early candidate for story of the year. And it remains to be a big story because we're still unwinding the situation and we don't know exactly how it's going to go um, that, you know, these bankruptcy processes, as they do in any industry, take months and months to unwind. But what's happened since that bankruptcy filing is a number of sports or a number of teams, particularly in baseball and hockey uh, and some in basketball as well, have either been dropped by diamond or volunteered walk voluntarily walked away knowing what the situation is and this crumbling of the traditional cable bundle based rsn landscape and so now we just don't know exactly what's going to happen um all the NBA rights that Diamond have are going back to the league at the end of the season. We may have a similar situation with hockey and baseball, uh, but this has been a critical revenue stream for teams. And the situation as we've known it for literally 40 plus years is eroding really in real time that where we were a year ago and where we are now are dramatically different and where we'll be a year from now will be dramatically different yet again. Yeah, Eric, I remember uh, earlier this spring, you know, uh, we're talking about if you're like a Padres fan, there was some days you didn't know what channel your team's games were going to be on in, in just a few days. And we're waiting for the end of year payments or end of month payments and, and all this. So it's just kind of a crazy day by day thing. And yeah, really, really a, a wild story for the business behind sports. I remember being kind of unnerved by how calm Rob Manfred seemed right before the start of, of the 2023 baseball season. Cause he was just like, yeah, we, we don't really know if a bunch of our, our teams will have of the regular local broadcast, but you know, I guess we'll, we'll just step in and make it work if they don't. And they did, you know, rather impressively, but yeah, obviously they're trying to move toward a world where they don't have that level of uncertainty. And of course that's going to affect the basketball world, the hockey world. And I think we're just going to have a new media paradigm 
uh, at some point, but that's, you know, these, these things take time to evolve. Within that new paradigm, it's important to remember that, yes, these teams and the leagues that they're in, they rely on this money, but almost as much as they covet the money, they love the control. And part of that calmness from Rob Manfred and the other commissioners that you see on this subject is part of what they're getting in this whole situation is, yes, there's a lot of uncertainty ahead, but it's uncertainty with them driving the bus. They're at the steering wheel and having the ability to control their own rights and deploy them in a way that makes sense on their terms or as much of their terms as possible. It's a really important thing to remember because these, these entities and these leagues all love being in control. Mm. I want to hop over to a different topic. Uh, We had a couple sort of personality superstar stories that that sort of all all came down in the fall. The ones I'm thinking of are Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, becoming a phenomenon in Colorado. We also had Lionel Messi right around that same time make the move to to Major League Soccer and really like take that league to new levels of attention. It was, you know, exactly what what MLS has been waiting for all these years. so, David, I'll start with you. You were in Colorado to, um, among other things, observe the the Coach Prime effect. Um, h- how do you see uh, – is it more of a flash in the pan for you, or do you think he's going to have an enduring uh, moment um, yeah, as we go forward? Well, I think just looking back on it, I don't know when we'll see scenes like that again in college sports. I mean, maybe again next year if uh, Colorado – tries to improve a little bit on the field and gain some more notoriety there, moves up in the rankings perhaps. But yeah, it was just insane. I mean, you had The Rock in Boulder, Colorado. You had, um, you know, there's rumors that LeBron James were going to go to a game and every Buffalo's game felt like a a celebrity sighting. So it was just a wild scene for college sports, but especially uh, the town of Boulder, Colorado. And yeah, I I think it's uh, to be determined, uh, you know, Shador Sanders is going to be coming back and they'll probably add through the transfer portal, right? So I I would expect Coach Prime to keep the intention on him and his team moving forward into 2024. You look at some of these big personalities, there's there's a real interesting thing that I sort of see here around celebrity culture. And if you sort of pull back a little bit that you know, sports is really like the one of the last great unifiers in our society that we're divided on politics, we're divided on race and ideology and geography and so many other things. But sports is one of these great things that pulls everybody together. So it almost seemed inevitable that we were going to have everything that we sort of know and understand and pay attention to in and around celebrity culture and have that be within sports and in a, a bigger, newer way that you sort of look at what Deion Sanders did and and Messi and the kind of attraction that he pulled and everything around Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and what we're talking about there. It really was sort of a merging of celebrity culture and sports on the on the backs of sports being that last great unifier in our society. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up Taylor Swift. I think we all had a moment at some point during this year where we said, oh, OK, well, I guess we're, we're covering Taylor Swift now. Um, and um, yeah, obviously, because she's, she's dating Travis Kelsey. But it, it it was this sort of moment of like the, the biggest cultural entities we have, literally, like the NFL and, and Taylor Swift, um, you know, coming together as one. And it did feel like, you know, whether you enjoyed it or, or cringing or whatever, it just like we don't have these moments very often where everyone's looking at the same thing. Everyone's talking at the same thing. And that did feel like one of those moments. 
that, that, that first Chiefs game that Taylor Swift attended just kind of broke the internet, at least if you follow any sort of NFL-related account or a reporter or any kind of account related to Taylor Swift. It was just this huge merging. And I think we may have gotten a little carried away with uh, what we thought the impact on the NFL and viewership could end up being. Now, there certainly was a boost in certain uh, demographics, definitely, but that was crazy. I mean, everybody was talking about it, every show, and, and the NFL loved it. And, you know, now we're, we're here. She's still attending games. They, they're still together, her and Travis Kelsey. And it's not quite the same um, – you know, buzz every, every time, but you know, she still gets the cameras on her from uh, Fox, CBS, NBC, most games, and it's still fun to watch. So I think it's one of the more fun stories of the year for sure. And again, you talk about that cultural zeitgeist. I mean, arguably the the best SNL skit so far this season was the parody of the Fox uh, NFL crew, you know, debating all the things in and around Taylor Swift. And again, that was that you know, cultural zeitgeist that happened in terms of that merging of the NFL and and Taylor Swift and everything I'm sort of talking about with celebrity culture here. And I think we're going to see more of that going into next year. Uh, let's hop over to, um, uh, I, I touched on this with, with our coworker, Amanda Christovich, but I think we should just briefly hit on um, realignment, the collapse of the PAC 12, everything going on in college sports, in these are this is another thing where this is truly the year things things broke things things just completely changed and we'll be looking back on this one as you know this is you know the the moment when all the changes we've been seeing all of a sudden just all the dominoes fell yeah Um, oh and i mean you know eric and i are writing the twice daily newsletter for front office sports uh, each day every week and there was a period of time this summer where pretty much every single day we had one, if not two or three stories on the Pac-12 and or the ACC and the Big Ten and what school is going where, what report uh, was coming out now, what media network was trying to lure, what school to what conference. And it was just it was just crazy. One of those other stories that, like you say, you get caught up in the moment. And I mean, this one really does have huge impacts because it bled into the demise of the Pac-12, all its schools um, pretty much scrambling out. Now we're still trying to figure out that puzzle, right? With um, Oregon State and Washington State. Uh, you have Florida State unhappy with the, its place in the ACC. So yeah, that was just one of those crazy stories to look back on. And every day I was talking with our colleague, Amanda Christovich, of what are you hearing? What, you know, we're going to write about this. What are you writing about? I mean, just something you, you really couldn't cover enough. And it was, it, it was a crazy time. You know, I was sort of taken looking back at this whole situation that you sort of compare it to pro sports. And I've had a lot of owners in these big leagues tell me, you know, we compete like hell on the field, but we cooperate as much as we can off of it. And there's revenue sharing and best practices and all of that. But then you look at what's happened in college sports this year. It was very much every man for himself. And and all the stuff that we're talking about with all this turbulence that David references and the realignment and the demise of the PAC 12, you know, every school and every conference was out for their own situation, trying to, in the midst of all of this change, you know, carve their own situation, grab a life raft, pick your metaphor, but it was very much every man for himself. And what that means going forward, we're still sort of unpacking, but I, I, I certainly worry, and I think a lot of fans out there worry, and I think a lot of administrators and coaches and players worry too, because when you have every man for your for yourself, um, 
it's hard to build a bigger thing and a more sustainable thing. And that that sort of was the through line on all of this that we're talking about in this space. Let's hop over uh, to get through as many of these as we can. Um, another s- slow build that kind of came to start to come to fruition this year, women's sports. We've been hearing about the growth of women's sports for a long time. I feel like this is the year we finally started to say, you know, like the women's sports can be as big and as prominent, at least in some cases, as as men's sports. And I think we saw that most around March Madness and the the battle between LSU and Iowa and Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese. Um, and of course, we had the NWSL media deal as well. It feels like, um, you know, we're, we're still not talking NFL, MLB, NBA numbers, but we we are kind of getting to that next level. This is kind of the hockey stick year, or it sort of feels like in terms of that growth chart, um, you know, with that straight elevation. And, and there's so many examples. I mean, the March Madness kind of kicked it off, but, you know, WNBA had a very successful season on a, on a lot of growth markers in terms of their ratings and attendance. We saw a huge influx, particularly late this year and in around volleyball, but also the outdoor volleyball game earlier this year. Um you know, so attendance and ratings across a number of leagues, a number of sports. And really what's happened is this, this opportunity and programming has been unlocked, that there was a shelf space issue for so long. Um, you know, I think the interest was always kind of there, but, you know, getting access on a broadcast channel or even a major, major cable channel was difficult for a lot of these entities. But streaming has just kind of opened up the shelf space. And once they got that shelf space, everybody is seeing this is it was always great competition and it is great competition and now sort of the broader world is recognizing that right uh, going back to march madness when you have someone like stephen a smith debating whether it was okay for caitlin clark and angel reese to be trash talking each other like they were then that, that, that's kind of no you know when you've made it as a sport another or, zeitgeist and, moment 100 percent. exactly so i mean yeah that, that was fun to watch i mean those were really good games too you can't forget about you know south carolina's run ending there as well but yeah i mean Talking about volleyball, the Nebraska packing in 90,000 plus fans to their football stadium in August for a couple of volleyball matches. I mean, I know there was a lot of marketing and promotion and effort that went into that, but that's crazy to break the record for um, women's sports globally. I mean, that, that was awesome to see. And by all indications, we're going to continue to see efforts like that into 2024 and beyond. Yeah. And just incidentally, I'm totally here for the rise of volleyball. I think it's it's a super fun sport to watch. And David, you're a resident golf expert. <laughs> this is another year where, I mean, this, this, you know, kind of a different thing where it's not like this sort of growing thing that finally came to fruition this year is um, Saudi Arabia decided they, they wanted in on golf and they are in on golf. Um, how do you just looking back, see kind of the, the overall changes in the sport? Yeah, I mean, looking back on the framework agreement that was a bombshell announcement on June 6th, uh, I I remember that day. Coincidentally, I was actually off work uh, traveling still from a long weekend and I was I was driving and I, you know, wasn't looking at my phone for over an hour and I get to a gas station and my phone is, phone is just blown up with texts from my friends saying the PGA Tour and Live are merging and all these notifications and emails and I was like I was stunned. And, and of course, uh, Eric held also, down the also the smoke day in New York. <laughs> yeah. Oh, course, was it that uh, day? Oh man. Oh. Eric held down the fort for the newsletter team. And, you know, there is a takeover newsletter edition about live golf and the PGA tour. And, you know, so much has changed since then. And we've learned so much more and we still don't really know what exactly is going to happen, even if we get some sort of deal done. And there's still just so much confusion uh, around that. So I look, you know, my friends who, who maybe don't work in the 
sports business just don't even understand like, oh, I thought PGA Tour and Live were merged. And it's like, well, no, they said they were merged, but then they said they weren't merged and they're, they have an agreement to have an agreement. So it's just one of those things that you look back on as really kind of um, really a miss from everybody involved as far as getting that news out there and rolling it out because so many PGA Tour players, Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy included, were angry with how it happened. Um, and it's really it just professional golf has been in an odd spot for a number of years ever since Saudi Arabia's PIF has decided to invest and back live golf. But yeah, from June 6th on this year, just what wild scenes and the corollary trend on this is what a big signifier this was and has been followed on in terms of middle east money coming into north american sport and european sport that you look at saudi arabian investments in other sports qatari investments in other sports um, you know basketball and uh, team stakes and potentially now tennis and you sort of go down the list that you you've got these Middle Eastern nation, Middle East nations and their sovereign wealth funds and having access to capital really sort of unrivaled in, in a lot of our traditional uh, uh, institutions here in North America. It, it's rapidly ch- changing the whole business and, and really is the whole undercut of everything that David's talking about, particularly with live. Yeah, and we should throw in and this seemed to happen relatively quietly, but Saudi Arabia was awarded the World Cup this year as well. And that, that's, you know, a, a huge win for them in their desire to be that's taken another as one. A, yep. a serious, you know, um, serious sports location. Uh, and finally, let's let's hit on the world of, of baseball in California, especially my local team, perhaps soon to be not my local team. The Oakland A's are uh, finally said they're they're leaving for Las Vegas Um that that was one of those moments where I remember when, when I heard that when because uh, I had been optimistic that they were going to make it work in Oakland. I have many theories as to uh, what exactly went on there, but and um, something where you know this has been something that that has been talked about for years, 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 years. I mean, I've been in the area for fourteen years, and I feel like pretty much that whole time there's like, oh, the A's moving to San Jose. Are they moving to, you know, Fremont? To, you know, the, the, we went through a, a list of places and finally Vegas became the place. Well, you're right. Cause I started writing about this particularly with the A's more than 20 years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was an issue then and it's an issue now. Look, I, I've got some strong feelings on this. I, I think they should stay, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I feel like this does kind of open the door or at least, um, I mean, it's a big story in itself, but also teams will, you know, when they want public money, they'll say, look, we could move, you know, we, we've got other places that want us. And sometimes it feels like an empty threat, but I feel like the A's moving now teams can say, well, you know, you, 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 you hate to pull an Oakland here, you know, we, uh, we would like to make it work here, but we have other places, um, where we would like to go. So I think we'll be feeling the impact of this, obviously both in, in Oakland and in Vegas, but, um, beyond as well as, as other teams kind of have this, this real life threat here. Yeah. You know, the Oakland situation was really kind of a signifier of what kind of turned out to be a bit of an upside down baseball season that we went into the start of spring training and the start of the season thinking that it was going to be very much a New York, New York thing. And where I'm at, the Yankees and Mets have both spent a bunch of money in the off season and both turned out to be very disappointing. And so even with that and with the Texas Rangers actually winning the World Series, really all the big stories outside of the pitch clock were in California. The A's situation that you referenced, um, 
Shohei Otani going from the Angels to the Dodgers, uh, the owner of the Padres, Peter Seidler, unfortunately passing away recently, and the San Francisco Giants, once a model franchise, uh, three titles and five seasons and an innovator across all of their business operations, um, can't get anybody to play for them. Um, and people wondering what the future of the franchise is there. And it's interesting that not New York and not Texas, all of the big stories seem to be coming out of California. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you both. Uh, not easy to sum up a year in, in 22 minutes, but uh, I, I think we pretty much got there. Um, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be back at you in 2024. And thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Absolutely. That's it for today. And that's it for the year. We launched this podcast back in February, and I cannot thank you enough for coming along for the ride, whether you've been with us the whole time or you're just tuning in now. And this ride is just getting started. We have big plans for 2024. So subscribe, get your friends and family to subscribe. We'll be off on New Year's Day, but right back at it on January 2nd. Thanks for a year of listening. We will see you in 2024.